Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Simply Finance with Shane White. Today is episode 59 and episode number six of my founder series, and I couldn't be more excited than to sit down with Jordan DeChico, who is the youngest brother, president, and co-founder of Super Coffee. He's a really cool guy. Super Coffee has been a product that I personally have enjoyed for a few years now, and it was exciting to sit down and talk about the success drive and passion of Super Coffee over the last few years and Jordan's perspective on all things brand. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Jordan will be right up after this. Well, thank you, Jordan, for coming on the show. Appreciate you being here today. Would you mind giving a little intro to yourself and telling everyone a little bit about Super Coffee? Absolutely, brother. And thank you so much for, for having me on. This is exciting. Um, I, again, we're big fans of RX Bar and, and yourself. And then uh, I know you enjoy Super Coffee products every now and again. So, Absolutely. Uh, this is exciting for us. And yeah, I'm the youngest brother uh, of three of uh, the co-founders of Super Coffee. It started in my dorm room, actually, uh, when I was a 19-year-old freshman, played basketball at Philadelphia University in uh, Philadelphia. Uh, <laughs> and the, the story goes, uh, I was falling asleep in class. Um, we would have five a.m. practices every day. And it was just draining, man. And we couldn't, you know, I, mean, I couldn't figure out why there wasn't healthier energy drink options, but specifically bottled coffee because I, I loved coffee and I obviously it's a massive category. It's the third most popular beverage in the world. So why, when all of a sudden it was a ready to drink product, you know, all standards went out the window um, and you had to kind of suffer for, for something that was just loaded with cream and sugar. So um, just started as trying to solve that problem for myself and realized, you know, very early on, because <clears throat> I, I was studying business at the time um, that there was a market opportunity for it. And, um, started to run some simple, very simple, basic um, business models, which, you know, I'm sure we'll get into um, of just like, okay, here's market size, you know, total addressable market. Um, here's who controls, you know, here's who controls the market. Here's how we can differentiate and maybe find a little niche for ourselves. So that's how the idea came about. And then called my two older brothers. Jake is the middle brother. He was playing football at Georgetown at the time. Jim was my oldest brother. He had just graduated from Colgate and was working in New York in finance. And I was like, hey, you know, they're, they're just, you know, two years and three years older than me. So we've always had a really tight relationship. And I said, I'm going to give up, forfeit my, my scholarship, uh, my basketball scholarship. Uh, after my freshman year, I'm going to drop out. I'm going to start this company because it's something that I'm super passionate about and really believe in. Um, but I need you guys to join me. So I was able to convince them to, uh, to join. And that's how we got started. And that was 2016. Wow. Wow. That's quite, yeah, I, I knew some of that. That's, uh, how did you, I would love to just jump in the beginning there. How did you, like, what was the process of looking for a healthier option? And then once you determined there wasn't a healthier option, what was kind of the process that you went through to start testing? And do you remember like the first super coffee batch you made in that whole process? Yeah. Oh, of course, of course. It feels like yesterday, honestly. So <laughs> again, I will, I will say just a reminder, you have to think about context of you know, who, who we were, um, as athletes and where we were. And I was based in Philadelphia, but we grew up in New York. So we were exposed always to like the greatest trends and we were surrounded by great brands. Um, so we were always looking for those healthier options. So to your point, um, it's not like I was in the middle of the country and, 
stuck to just like you know a couple of WalMarts and places where you know you expect sure. Starbucks and, and energy drinks to dominate. Like I was expecting to find something healthy and nutritious, and when I couldn't find it in my school stores or anywhere really remotely near campus, I even walked to the Whole Foods. Right, you have access yeah. to Whole Foods in Philadelphia. So, uh, but even there, you know, you had two options. They were actually selling. You know, they have they were starting to see some plant based options on the shelf. Obviously, emerge, but still loaded with sugar and really didn't taste that good. Um, and then 2016 was really the emergence of cold brew coffee, um, ready to drink, um, brands like chameleon, but mm-hmm. you know, that's third wave coffee, four ninety nine, five ninety nine, really yeah. strong, like for a college kid that doesn't really appeal, appeal to me. And I couldn't really afford it either. So, right. um, wasn't really a viable option. So that's kind of where I was like, wow, if I can't find a healthy option in my everyday life and I can't even find one at Whole Foods, like there actually is a real opportunity here. But what does that now look like? And just by talking to my friends and being honest with myself, it's like, look, I actually like the taste of Starbucks Frappuccinos. I mean, like (laughs) they do two and a half billion dollars a year in revenue for a reason. They taste absolutely delicious. Um, Right. Some aspects now at at that time, but now they're, it's kind of like, you know, sickly sweet and artificial tasting. But um, so it was obvious that we needed a product that tasted really great, um, needed a product that delivered on the nutritional uh, benefits that we wanted. Um, and at that time, I was really going into keto. I didn't really know. I didn't really call it keto, but it was zero sugar. Um, a lot of athletes were, were talking about it. Um, protein, obviously, always a big part of our diet, especially when we're moving. But we didn't want it to be a protein shake. We wanted it to be a coffee first that used protein to give it its creaminess versus like, you know, a artificial creamer or half and half or something like that. Right, so okay. that's where the 10 grams of protein really came into play. And then MCT oil was just making its way onto the scene for energy support, uh, metabolism support. And we started adding that. And we were like, look, if we can make this thing taste great, be nutritious, and instead of being $4.99, let's make it $2.99 so it can compete directly with Starbucks. Mm-hmm. Um, so those were the three boxes that we wanted to check. And then obviously just creating a brand that was meaningful to us um, and what we wanted to to put out into the world, which is always, I think, super important, which I'm, again, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk more about. So that was the initial logic behind the, uh, you know, the, the MVP product, the minimum viable product that we put out. Um, and from there, it was just really learning the hard way, uh, rolling up our sleeves. We had a small micro manufacturer, um, almost like a culinary kitchen in the Washington DC area. Cause when I dropped out that summer after my freshman year, I moved in with uh, my brother, Jake, who's at Georgetown still. He was in his senior year. And we just needed a place to put the liquid into bottles, <laughs> um, which, you know, I never realized how difficult that would be. Um, but the first batch, you know, it was just like, I think every batch we ran, we ran a batch every like two weeks, just like a couple thousand bottles. Um, and every batch was different. It was like, you know, what different sweet, that was the benefit of, of doing that. And the Whole Foods market, um, had their local program that we were uh, able to get in. We started with one store. Oh, wow. And we were like, yeah, we're just going to become the best-selling bottled coffee in this Whole Foods, right, in Washington, D.C., in uh, Georgetown, actually, so just right up the street from where Jake was, where we were living. And uh, we basically said, like, look, we're just going to make product, give it to every single person on Georgetown's campus, get feedback from them, sell it at Whole Foods so we can get some revenue and proof of concept going for, you know, because we knew we'd, we were going to need to raise money. Um, and from there, again, every batch we improved the packaging, 
um, the bottle shape we, we played with, obviously the different levels of sweetness, different flavor, flavor profiles. We actually were doing it the right way when we honestly didn't realize it. Okay, um, yeah. you know, we're, we're more doers than, than thinkers or, or planners. Uh, but we were doing it the, the right way. We take kind of taking our time. We were obviously wanting to, wanting to move quickly, but, um, you know, definitely took time to figure out the product first. Yeah, definitely. Do you, it's interesting to hear, I've heard this from a few people I've interviewed recently on, um, that conversation. Do you remember the conversation, like telling your parents and your brothers that you were going to drop out and do this full time? And how did that go? Do you remember that conversation? Yeah. So it was August, um, of that summer. So it was the end of that summer and Jake and I were in the Georgetown summer launch program. The Georgetown Business School has a great program where they're just helping out. So we had a concept, we had an MVP, and I'm getting ready to go back for my sophomore year, right? It's so like nobody's thinking that you're dropping out after your freshman year, especially when you're like full scholarship, expected to be an all-conference player. Yeah, right. Year. Like everybody's thinking, all right, Jordan's about to get ready to have a great season, and Jake's getting ready to finish up his, his senior season at Georgetown football. Um, we were actually on a trip to California for our, our cousin's wedding, and um, – Again, end of the summer, like this is my last last week of summer, basically. Then I go back and on the last day of the trip, you know, I'm wrapping up like my summer thesis for the program. And the idea that Jake and I were thinking is I was going to go back to Philly um, and we were going to start selling in Philly Whole Foods. And I would manage that and he would manage, you know, the Georgetown store. And we had no employees. So it was like, wait a minute you know, you're going to be a division one, uh, full-time college student athlete in your senior year. And I'm going to be a division two full-time college student athlete. And we think that we're going to produce, continue, we were basically working 15 to 20 hours a day that whole summer. Oh, wow. So, and we were, you know, a couple, couple thousand dollars a week in sales. And so logically I was just like, there's just no way it's going to work. It's just going to be too hard. The company's naturally going to dissolve. And the worst part about that is that Jake in his senior year, would then have to make a tough decision at the end of that year to say, okay, do I actually want to now restart the company mm-hmm. or am I going to, with my Georgetown degree, just go work on wall street and make a hundred K as a you know first year out. Yeah. Um, pretty, pretty easy decision. I thought, so I decided, Hey, I, I can't go back. Um, we believe in this. We have traction. You know, we felt like we were doing a lot of the heavy lifting, um, but it was working. Um, so I just told my parents, look, I, I can't go back. Uh, and they thought, you know, my mom was really scared. Uh, she, she was scared. My dad was really upset. So like mixed emotions for sure. Um, but when they realized I was serious about it, they, you know, they've always been so supportive. They've always kind of led, led us, raised us to, um, you know, think for ourselves and take risks. Um, obviously like basketball um, and sports kind of put us in the position to do that. But um, so they were, they, they got comfortable. I, I mean, I shouldn't say comfortable, but they were, okay with me doing it um and they supported us any way they could we you know we don't come from money my you know my mom was you know she worked at the ymca and my dad was a retired engineer um so we uh you know just kind of bootstrapped it and went with it and they uh been supporting us ever since i love that story no it's it's so interesting like it seems like in a lot of people's uh there's like always an inflection point a decision to be made somewhere along the line right and it's not obviously most of the time it's not going to be easy but yeah. it's interesting to hear you just kind of decided last second to do it and, and run with it. Yeah. And I can only imagine like once you get your foot in the door at one whole foods and then if it dissolves, like the opportunity to go back, I'm sure they're not going to, the, the chances there would be an uphill battle to try to get back into a whole foods after kind totally. of dissolving your company, you know? No, exactly. Yeah. It was like, 
I mean, who, who, who knew, right? I mean, like all, all we knew is that if we were, if I went back to school, Jake went back to school, you know, we would be in a really bad spot company wise. So sure. Yeah. We wanted to take the risk. So I, after that conversation with my parents, I called my coach. He was not very happy about the decision. Um, but then we got, went back straight to DC. Didn't have to worry about going back up to Philly and we got to, got to work. That's awesome. That's so cool. Did you, um, um, what was I going to say? Um, how did you, like when you were thinking through, you know, I, I want a, a healthier, simple ingredient coffee and you're looking around and you said, you're going to whole foods, you're not seeing it. And this might be a dumb question, but do you, why do you think none of the, the major coffee players tried to come out with something healthier? This is a, a question I like to ask people in our industry is like, why do you think the big guys didn't try to do this? Yeah. Well, I think when you looked at the, the big guys in the space, there weren't, wasn't really a lot. And Starbucks being the biggest and still controls the category. Um, and it's just not, and it's never been in their DNA ever as a brand to make a healthy product. It's just not sure. why they exist, right? Yeah. Um, especially in bottled drinks. Like they, when they initially launched Ready to Drink with Pepsi, they actually started with like a coffee, sparkling coffee, Cascara, oh. which not a lot of people realize. And it failed. Yeah, and it failed in the 90s. Um, and then finally they were like, Hey, we just need to take our most popular item from the store and put it into a bottle. And that was the Frappuccino in the late nineties. Um, you know, 50 grams of sugar, 290 calories, the thing that's still on the shelf today. And yeah. it worked so well for them, right? A billion dollars in revenue, uh, after the first five years and continued. Oh, did it do that much? I didn't realize that. I oh, remember, yeah. I remember getting those as a kid too. And just love yeah. it because they're so high in sugar. No, it took off. I mean, by like 2005, it was just like, and it's still in a league of its own. Like it still is. So that, that right there is just, it's all about the DNA, right? Big brands never focused on, never focused on health and wellness. They didn't have to, they didn't need to. It wasn't a thought for their consumer. It's not who they were talking to. So for them to all of a sudden say, Hey, you know, we want to go put out something healthy. It's like, what, what does that mean for them? Right? Like we can't just go against our entire brand here just for like, you know, the small bottled and healthy bottled coffee market, right. uh, stick to what's working, what's true for us and all the systems. And again, internally at big companies, they struggle to innovate as well because they're afraid of failing. Um, nobody wants to take the risk because it's not like the, the CEO or the founder, like myself, right. is putting their job on the line to make that call. Right. It's like a mid-level manager who doesn't really care. Um, yeah. And he's going to put his job on the line to, to challenge, you know, the VP of, uh, whether it be M and A or just innovation in general at a company like that. Like, so when you dig a little bit, so from a high level, it's not, not a part of their DNA, but when you dig deeper into, um, you know, the corporate bureaucracy that goes on, um, you're just not going to have somebody within that company willing to step up. And uh, obviously sometimes you do like big companies do, do figure it out, but um, it's just going to be really tough to break through. And then the same thing, even when you look at the other companies who are in the space, they all followed Starbucks. So they were all in the same boat. Uh, so when Coke launched the Dunkin' product, um, you know, just a few years ago, they just tried to replicate the Frappuccino. It actually has more sugar. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And it's really, really failing right now, but it came out of the gates hot because they had so much distribution. They got everything they, they wanted and needed the brand recognition, et cetera. But now it's, now it's starting to go downhill, but it's still a good part. They're still a number two brand. Um, and then. You know, right now we're the number three brand in the country. So we're, uh, we're not too far behind Duncan, but there is still a big gap between us and where, where Starbucks bottle drinks are. That's incredible though. I mean, I think, I mean, I've been following your guys' story for a while and how, how has it been 
what's has there been challenges i'm sure there always is but it seems like you guys have just been unlocking distribution and growing across the country and it seems like every place i'm at i see i notice you guys more and more now than i ever have yeah there's always challenges i think across all departments in the business too right it's not like just you know the big ones but the the two things that you need to get right are the product um and the people and you know the product is so tough because we don't own our own manufacturing you know we're a smaller company trying to get in with the big guys and as you you guys probably know like consumer packaged goods the contract manufacturers and they've been doing things the same way for 50 years like they haven't made products with mct oil and zero sugar like they haven't used monk fruit before right Uh, you know what monk fruit you know some of the conversations i was having early on people looked at me like i had two heads and i'm like guys i'm just saying i can't use sugar like or an artificial ingredient but they never heard of that before so we've probably improved our formula 50 to a hundred times. We actually just went through another reformulation. Oh, wow. Um, cause we're constantly, cause then that's the other side of it is like, not just do we have to be there nutritionally, but taste wise, we have to keep improving. So looking for different as monk root becomes, uh, more ubiquitous. How do you make that flavor profile really taste like sugar versus monk root? Um, so that's a challenge we're, con- we're constantly facing as well. Um, so product was the first thing that always, always, always trying to improve quality um you know we we went from producing forty thousand cases a year um to close to four million cases in less than two to less than two years how do you scale that quality that quick that quickly and there's been tons of issues like we've had protein fallout like there was a point in time where you couldn't drink a bottle of super coffee without getting an inch of sludge in the bottom oh okay yeah, just because of the processing. Like, and again, we didn't we don't use anything artificial, <laughs> so yeah, like right. we didn't realize that early on. So we had to tweak tweak what types of proteins and MCT oils and things like that we were using. So, product challenges are the big one, and then people challenges too. While we scaled, obviously the the our sales grew, um, our team grew. The last two years we grew from uh, twelve full time to ninety full time right now, um, and then we also have an incredible instead of doing. Uh, outsourced brand uh, ambassador programs. We actually built our own internally. So oh, we nice. had about 150 part-time people as well that we train um, and get out into the field pushing the product. So um, it's a big team that grew that grew fast. And you know the HR side of it is very real. You know I've learned the hard way. I, I used to, you know, a couple of old wise businessmen used to tell me that HR was the most important part of a, a company. And that when we were at like five people, I was like, there's just no way. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, but now you realize it when you have 90 full time, how important HR is because the people issues never stop. And they're the mo- your most important asset. So how do you right, keep right. people happy, motivated, paid? And then the ambitious people, you know, they have issues too, because they want a promotion, you know, they want to keep growing. And it's like, there's only so many levels and layers when you're a hundred million dollar company, right. you know, if we were a $5 billion company, then maybe we could, you know, we could flex a little bit more for you. But um, so there's always that balance too of figuring out, getting the right people in the right roles, keeping them incentivized and motivated. Um, and then obviously continuing to deliver the best products at the, at the best time. Um, so that's the, those are the two biggest hurdles that I spend most of my time on is product and people. And then um, from there, I think there's just, the unforeseen challenges too of like what what's going on in the market right right um, the impact of you know the pandemic um raising raising capital which uh thankfully jim jim the oldest brother leads the charge on raising capital but it's always a challenge too it's like how do you convince an investor that your valuation is what you say it is mm-hmm. um as a three-year-old company removed from the dorm room uh, sure yeah yeah 
these are all the things that we we wrestle with but you know we've been able to raise a lot of capital at fair valuations for us um and been able to maintain and improve the product and also grow our team with awesome awesome people so so far we've, we've those have been the key to our success being able to, to access the, the capital and resources produce great great uh differentiated products and just attract great talent and keep them keep them happy that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I know the people thing at RX, I didn't, I didn't fully understand the power of that. I think partially because I spent so much time in big corporate America at two, you know, fortune 200 companies before that. So, I mean, you're just in a big pool of people and it's when you come to a smaller company and I, I don't know what it is. I feel like with food, ever, I don't know why I feel like there's even a bigger connection because you, you have the product in your hand, you're sharing it with people I don't know. I agree. I feel like the the people side of things at a, a smaller company becomes ever important. Um, I do think it's interesting. I would love to dive into what you just hit on because there's a few things I thought were interesting when I, you know, I know a lot about you guys and have done my own research, but the uh, rate, the bootstrapping to then deciding to raise capital and you guys just went through some awesome steps to that and that all became public recently. So congratulations on that. That's exciting. Thank you. Um, and then you guys were on Shark Tank a while ago and yes. tried to get funding that way. So would you mind kind of walking through for this podcast? This is like a perfect topic is like, how, how did you guys obviously bootstrap because you were in your dorm room trying to yes. make it work yourself. Can you kind of explain the process that you guys went through to go from, you know, we're just going to keep bootstrapping this to then kind of the light bulb moment of like, we need to raise capital to hit the next phase and why, and just like your overall thoughts on that. Yeah, totally. And do definitely feel free to interrupt with, with questions. So much has happened in, in a five-year period that like, right. I, I forgot to even mention Shark Tank. So, yeah, I know. <laughs> so uh, definitely feel free to, That goes to show how fast you guys have been growing and there's so uh, much going on. Yeah, a ton, ton going on. Um, so yeah, I think the bootstrapping thing is super, super uh, important and uh, valuable for any, any company or, or founder and entrepreneur because for the majority of people, that's how you have to, to get going, especially when you're a 19 year old or just, you know, a young first time, um, you know, we didn't come from money, very limited resources. Me personally, you know, I was always focused on basketball. Um, so as a 19 year old, you know, I didn't have a lot of savings either. I had a couple thousand dollars in my bank from like, you know, the odd jobs I worked, you know, for sure. the summer. Yeah. so all of that money initially went into any, any research, um, you know, buying ingredients, um, you know, travel back and forth to DC early on. But um, basically the goal was to leverage our own couple thousand dollars to create that minimum viable product, which is like the first worst version you could, you know, introduce to the market. And the goal of that was just to prove the concept was viable um, in any sort of way, get traction in any sort of way. So the first piece of that for us was, okay, how can we get into a retailer that has a great reputation where we can actually show that the product's going to sell well? Okay, uh, right. And thankfully, um, Whole Foods was doing, still doing their local program. And I don't know if Whole Foods realized how important that is for small brands because I don't think they're doing it now um, with Amazon leading, leading the charge, but it's almost like an incubator. And for us, that allowed us to get into one store right? Because we didn't have inventory, we had no capital. So we could produce a really small amount of product without draining ourselves, go into one store. And again, our goal was to become the number one bottle of coffee in that Whole Foods. And then once we did that, we'd go up the street to the next Whole Foods and we'd say, hey, look at our data from this store. Can you take us in and then do the same thing? And we had enough capital um, 
we had enough capital to to do that for about five stores, which okay. we was about three months. So like you talk about the smallest sample size and the smallest time period before you needed to raise money, but we did it that summer. Um, and that's exactly what, what we did. We executed, we were the number one coffee in those five stores. Oh, wow. And, yeah. And when you can say that, Hey, we're the number one coffee in five Whole Foods. Um, that's huge. And, you know, exactly. And, and kind of paint that picture of here's what we're doing and here's what we're going to continue to do. And then here's how we're going to do that. Right. You, that's where the business plan comes into play, but it becomes a lot more real. It's not just like, you know, three college kids, uh, saying that they're, they're starting this great company. So with that, um, very small proof of concept. We actually did friends and family first, um, of course. Um, so friends and family round was $60,000. Um, and that would give us, uh, you know, another three to six months of, of runway of doing the same thing, scaling. Um, and we were able to raise it from two of our aunts who uh, just took the risk on us. They're like just the, the nicest, kindest people ever wow still, you know yeah there are two, two early investors yeah friends and family exactly they, they got in i think at a million million valuation so they've, they've done pretty well nice <laughs> um, yeah absolutely <laughs> uh, That's awesome. that, yeah which is cool and so they we got sixty thousand dollars from them and then they even had some of their friends and this was what's cool when you bootstrap is like you don't care where the money comes from or how big the check is sure you're like $2,500 checks, $5,000 checks, like every other day. So we ended up raising like $90,000 um, from that small friends and family round. And then we were able to get in really make an, not a, not a real impact, but 15 stores of top, top three coffee in every store. Wow. But again, people's, people's perception of Whole Foods is so great. It's like, wow, if you're number three in these 15 stores in a high profile area like DC, then, you know, of course you guys can expand, right? Of course you can keep this going. Definitely. Uh, and a, a lot of, we call it, you know, not, it's like friends, family, and fools money early on. Cause they don't know CPG. So we're not asking like, but they're probably going story, off of just knowing you guys. And then yeah, word knowing us, your aunts. getting those highlights too. Like, Hey, we were yeah. in two stores last month. Now we're in four and we're still the best seller. Now we're next month. We're going to be in eight. So you can paint that picture really clearly. Did you guys have like a cell deck, like a, like a, some sort of cell deck early on for friends and family? Yeah, we did like a little business plan. It's yeah. funny. It's actually January or June 25th was our fifth year anniversary. Oh, wow. There you go. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. So everybody, we actually, today's a company holiday. Everybody. Oh, nice. There you go. But we, we circulated the first business plan actually to everybody that I, I drafted up. It was a horrible piece of work, but um, it was cool because, you know, the, the vision and the values were there from day one. Yeah. Um, and that's what we were selling people on, you know, more so was that. I think it's um, so cool to look back at that stuff. I mean, that's like Peter um, and Jared's first RX bar wrapper was made in PowerPoint and they, yeah, we have that, that like in the office same, still, you know, same. it's like, you gotta remember that. Yeah. So once we, um, we got that $90,000, we kept executing on the plan, but we were burning cash. Sure. Um, and we realized, okay, now we, we need to go a little bit bigger. And funny enough though, this is, you know, talk about how luck plays a role or creating your own luck. We like to say kind of, you know, your luck only comes if you're out there getting it done. So we were producing the product ourselves. We were making our own deliveries to the Whole Foods stores. We didn't have a distributor. We weren't with Unify K or anybody. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. We were making our own deliveries. And then we were going back to do demos ourselves on the weekends. Um, you, this and, is just the two of you at this point? And Jim had joined. So three. Okay. So now it's the three brothers. Um. So we were working our asses off basically. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Well, one Saturday, um, you know, we're in that 
one of the Georgetown or DC stores and, you know, a guy comes up with a Hoya, older gentleman with a Georgetown Hoya shirt on. And, you know, we obviously do what we do best and kind of just selling them on the product and, you know, having a good time. And um, he actually turned out to be one of the top lawyers in DC. Oh, wow. Uh, Georgetown alum, loved the product. Um, he ended up getting a group of at his firm and some other firms in DC. And they were our first angel capital for about $500,000. Wow. Uh, yeah. Which really allowed us to become, you know, some, some sort of a real business in the sense that we scaled our manufacturing from that hole in the wall where we were doing our own, own production. Um, we partnered with some local DSD distributors and uh, UNFI. Um, and part of our plan was expansion into another regional retailer beyond Whole Foods in Wegmans um, was actually, you know, 90, 90, very high volume, high profile stores. Um, so just like that, with that $500,000 raise, we went to the manufacturer that we're actually still in today, which is a Nestle manufacturer. Um, one of the best at what they do. So it's nice. a huge improvement. Oh yeah. Having distributors, which is a huge improvement in terms of time savings. Um, and then another regional retailer. So we got back a lot of our time there. Um, and improve the quality of the product. So what we did was with that capital as well, a lot of it went towards inventory financing because the minimum runs were, were pretty high at that new plant. But we were able to hire two sales reps. And the goal remained the same. become Stay as the number one bottle of coffee at Whole Foods and become the number one bottle of coffee at Wegmans, which is 90 stores. Nice. Yeah, there you go. 500K. So two sales reps, three brothers, do whatever we can do to be, to be number one at Wegmans. And that's exactly what we did. Uh, I mean, in the first 90 days, we absolutely destroyed those stores. We had friends and family doing demos, pouring samples, because Wegmans is all over the Northeast, too. It's not just the DMV. They have some stores in the DMV, but most of them are upstate New York. Thankfully, that's where we grew up. So we had a lot of friends up there who were, and this is where our brand ambassador program kind of started. Uh, We realized, like, look, we need to be doing demos every weekend. We need people merching the shelves. But Jimmy, Jake, and Jordan can't drive 10 hours to upstate New York every week we were but we couldn't do it every um and thankfully the manufacturer actually was based in buffalo so they were up there so every time we went up there we hit like 30 wagons ourselves um so the game plan has always been the same as demos and displays like if you do a demo you got to sell over 100 units and you need to leave that store with a 50 case order to oh, get wow. a display somewhere like we made that like that was the bible that was the code um and that's still true today oh wow bigger expectation much bigger expectations were going for the 500 case displays and, and demos but um so but it worked i mean we within that first year we actually made up 40 percent of all bottled coffee sales at Wegmans. holy smokes so if you think about Damn. that starbucks was at like 20 25 so we wow we that really put us on the map, that plan, that strategy, that execution. So we felt Do you like, feel like the demo, not to cut you off, but do you feel like the demo piece, was that like the big unlock for you guys? I, I mean, I followed you guys for a while. I do feel like you guys are like the kings of the demos. Yeah, for case. sure. The demos have been huge. Even today, I mean, we were doing before the pandemic, and that's why the pandemic has hurt us so much, because our entire sales and marketing strategy is built around demos. Yeah. Um, to a fault, in a sense which we're learning right now because we didn't have a savvy digital team. Like we're building our digital team right now um, because of what's going on. So it'll help us in the long run. But when we were demoing, I mean, again, it's a sales and marketing machine at the point of purchase. It's like, there's nothing that compares to that. Um, You know, in March we had uh, over 
100,000 person-to-person sampling impressions this wow. year. And that went to, to less than 100 very quickly. Like that yeah. went away during the pandemic. But early on, again, like people in upstate New York, keto was just becoming a trend. They were looking for ways to, to live healthier diets. And we were the only product that tasted sweet and indulgent that didn't have sugar, had protein. So by being differentiated enough, we were easily able to convert customers onto super coffee. And they were, and the repurchase rate was so high, and it's still super, you know, super high, above fifty percent. So it was, it was worth it. It was expensive, but it was so worth it because every other customer who tried it was coming back, not just once or twice. They were like lifelong customers, so they were driving our business. So we're still like without demos and not a ton of support at Wegmans. Obviously, as we've scaled, I mean, we're still the top bottle of coffee brand, which is awesome. That's phenomenal. That's such a cool, such a wild story. I mean, so you guys went from yeah, it sounds like so friends and family. Then you, you know, stum- almost, almost stumbled upon your first angel investor. Is that then shortly after that? Or I guess, I, I, when was the timing then of Shark Tank? Yes. So, um, so same, same sort of deal with the friends and family is like, once we raised that first initial angel round, you know, they had more, they had more people on their network. Um, so we kind of continued to raise what we would still call seed rounds from angels, but just like high net worth angels, um, yeah. obviously. And um, so we raised a couple hundred thousand more dollars to continue what we were doing and proving out. So more regional retailers um, in the area, more distributors in the area to continue to raise it. But we realized like, all right, we're doing great in the mid-Atlantic and Northeast, but how do we take this thing to become a national brand? Um, like what, what are the steps we need to take? Our data is great. Like, so we're talking, retailers are actually reaching out to us now from all over the country. So that's what prompted our decision to expand was the opportunity is there, but we didn't have the capital. Um, we didn't have the team. So we needed, needed the capital to expand and execute the same strategy. We wanted to do the same thing that we did that worked so well in every region of the country, um, which is a hard thing to do. And it's a lot, it takes a lot of, a lot of money and a lot of people. Um, so we were like, okay, we'll get ready to raise a series A, um, which would be our first real, you know, institutional money. It's going to be a 10 to $15 million round. Wow. And when we were just starting to to draw the plan out for that, um, we had a a friend actually reach out to us who knew somebody at Shark Tank and said, "Hey, like you know, they're accepting applications. I think your story would be great if you guys want to submit." So we submitted it, and uh, a few weeks later, they asked us. You know, they said, "You know, we love your story. We'd love for you guys to do like a video and you know, second, basically second round of the application process." So we were like, "Yeah, hell yeah, you know, this is yeah. great." And um, so we did that. And then again, just a few weeks later, they moved really quickly. They were like, look, we'd love to have you guys on season nine of, uh, of Shark Tank and tell your story and see what you can do. And we were like, okay, this is cool. Like we didn't think we'd be able to raise our full series A on Shark Tank, obviously. Okay, um, yeah. 2017, actually, um, when we went on to film it. So it was really early on um, still. So we went on, we asked for a million dollars from the Sharks um, for 10% stake. So we were valuing the company at 10 million at the time. Um, which we thought was reasonable. I think we we're on pace to do like two or three million that year in sales in 2017. Um, so we thought that was pretty reasonable ask for year two. Yeah, but I don't know if you saw the episode, but basically, did. yeah, Shark didn't like the product, um, and they thought the valuation was too high. And Rohan Oza, who's a big beverage guy, who's involved with vitamin water and buy and bulletproof actually and high brew, some of our competitors, which we were worried about. We were like, this guy's, you know very publicly involved in these other coffee competitors. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was, you know, a little interesting, but 
Um, again, we thought that having 8 million people, we knew there was a risk going on the show too, but we thought having 8 million people view us, like our goal was just, let's just come off as awesome, genuine, hardworking brothers who are trying to, to break through for the betterment of society with, you know, a healthy product. Love it. Yeah. And yeah. That's exactly, that's exactly what happened. Um, even though we didn't get a deal, it was, you know, some negative feedback on the show, but like 8 million people and it, we still get, the reruns are still going right now. We I always see it pop up online too, just like the clips of you guys. Oh, exactly. so shirts and stuff. That. Yeah, we leverage that for ads. Um, but in stores, all of our retail marketing POS, like as seen on Shark Tank, um, but we leverage it at demos. You know, people recognize the brand. So it was a huge turning point just in terms of brand awareness and excitement. Right. Whereas we weren't just three kids, you know, brothers um, who worked hard. We were like the brand that was on Shark Tank that's, you know, trying to challenge Starbucks. Um, so that was a really cool turning point. That was, so we filmed it in 2017, but that didn't air until February of 2018. Oh, uh, So it was about eight months. So by the time wow. it aired actually, and this goes to show how quickly we, we wanted to evolve and how big evolution was for us. By the time it aired, we had a completely new reformulated product. Um, I was going to ask, it wasn't the brand, the brand it, wasn't, it wasn't the same brand name on the bottle, no, either, right? Exactly. It was completely different. Like everything was new. We went through a full brand refresh all product formulations. We were getting ready to launch our super creamer, which was our first extension outside of just bottled coffee. Um, and when it aired, people started reaching out to us like, Hey, are you guys still looking for money? And we were again, raising from angels. So we were well capitalized at that point and we were planning for the series a still, but one of the people who reached out directly to me on Instagram was Patrick Schwarzenegger. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Arnold's, Arnold's son. And, um, you know, he ended up investing as an angel, um, you know, meaningful investment for us, but just having that. Uh, yeah, didn't he just DM you on Instagram? Wasn't yeah, that the he, story I've seen? Yeah, yeah, yeah just DM me on Instagram. And he's he's my, he's a year older than me, so he's Jake's age. Um, we just hit it off, right? Like, yeah, and, he seems yeah. like a cool guy. Yeah, he's super cool and he's super entrepreneurial. Um, obviously, a, an actor, and you know, his family is absolutely amazing. So we built a really strong relationship, and some of his connections and relations have led to more investments, right? So, kind of played played that um hand for a little bit in terms of raising more capital and then as we were getting ready for 2019 we wanted to go from four million four and a half million in sales in 2018 to 30 million um in 2019 because this was the big expansion year like where yeah. we wanted to go from the east to the rest of the country and we were really still excluding the west we didn't really have plans to make it all the way to the west coast but we wanted to win in the Midwest. We wanted to win in, in Texas, basically, and the Southeast. Um, so that was the plan, was go from basically operating in, in two regions uh, to five regions. So Mid-Atlantic, Northeast, Southeast, South Central, Midwest. Um, so we knew we needed 10 to $15 million to do that. We needed to hire another 30 people to do that. Because um, now it's not just salespeople anymore. Now you have you know bigger finance team, bigger marketing team. Um, you know, sales operations team to make sure the team has everything they need. So as you scale the sales team, obviously you need to scale the rest of the other departments, the admin functions in the business to keep up. Definitely. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it requires just more people, more dollars. Um, so, the, so we ended up, um, you know, Jim led the charge here and uh, it was our first time again, but we had a great story. The data was great. We were still a small brand, you know, four and a half million in sales. Um, you know, still very, very small, like could easily go out of business any, any given minute. Um, 
and there was a group of tech investors actually out in LA, um, pretty new um, venture capital group, group called Anthos Capital. And uh, their founder, you know, loved our product because he was just super health and wellness focused. And, you know, they, they, they were doing pretty well for a new fund and they had just closed another, another fund and uh, they wanted to take the bet on us as their first food and beverage investment actually outside of tech. So um, we ended up raising 14 million um, in that round um, to close the series A going into 2019. I think we closed it actually like on Christmas day of 2018. So like perfect wow. time, right? Yeah. yeah. It's like money in the bank. Let's do this. Right. And, uh, we came out that year. We did exactly what we said we were going to do. Um, we went from, uh, 15 full time to about 60 full time in the first six months of that year. So it was really ramping up. That's a big and, ramp up. Yeah. But we hit our revenue goal. Uh, we did about 26 million in, in sales that year. Um, wow. So it was, it, we, we were able to do that. And then obviously, same exact story for 2020 was like, okay, now we're on a national stage. Um, at the end of last year, we did start to expand to the West, but we need to continue to build the team, take it to the next level, go deeper now in every region. We've proved it can work in every region now. Now we need to go deeper. We need to saturate. Like we need to really challenge challenge some of these big brands. Um, and we were a top 10 brand at the time, but um, you know, I mentioned we're, we're now number three. Um, so the strategy was working. It's just like, now let's ramp it up wrap up our spends. Um, so our series B was starting to, uh, we were still, cause we're, we're still burning money at the time, you know, we're not a profitable, not a profitable organization. So, um, we looked at the model, we looked at our plan, what we wanted to achieve. And we thought we could grow three times again. So we wanted to go from 25 million to, uh, 90 million. So a little over three times. Wow. And, um, you know, we put the plan in place, the hiring plan, the, you know, the strategy and, um, came out of the gates. So just on the series B, um, we decided that we were going to raise it in Q1, uh, of this year, 2020, have it closed by Q2 and be ready to go. And that would give us the fuel, you know, we needed, but, uh, you know, Q1 was great quarter. You know, we were coming out on plan, things were looking good. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, the pandemic hit, uh, and we were like, holy shit, like, we're burning a lot of cash to hit this super aggressive plan because it was an aggressive plan. Like we could have easily said, Hey, we're going to double this year and just do 50 million and be, you know, close to profitable. Right. Um, but unfortunately that's just not how we operate. <laughs> it hurt us in this, in this circumstance. We take a shot. I mean, like March was an awesome record breaking month. Um, you know, really incredible end to Q1 and, Based on previous years, we knew that Q2 was going to be about double what Q1 is, and Q3 would be double what that was. So we were there, like we were, we were on track, and and unfortunately, everything kind of just shut down. I mean, and um, you know, I think we sales missed plan in uh, Q2 by about 35, 40%. That's right. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, we had enough traction footprint where, and we were handling the, the pandemic well. We didn't have to, we didn't make any layoffs or furloughs at all. Oh, awesome. And, committed to keeping the full team on board um we actually actually hired a few more people to make sure we were spread too too thin um that's great uh, start around that time we started talking to anheuser-busch a little bit more seriously as well about uh a distribution partnership but also they wanted to invest in our round but we were also talking to some other strategics as well who were really serious about getting getting involved um but the deal with ab made a lot of sense 
uh, because they had just lost Bang Energy mm-hmm. um, as their number one non-elk brand. So if you think about a, the bandwidth of a large company like that or any company, if they lose a big portion of their sales and their focus on non-alcoholic, they need to fill that void and their sales team needs to make up for that. Um, right. so it was perfect timing for Super Coffee to sign. What we, what we signed is a national, uh, national master distribution agreement where we are their exclusive coffee. Um, they participated a $5 million check in the round. We closed $28 million, um, in Series B capital um, at a $228 million post money valuation that's in, the middle, in the middle of the pandemic yeah <laughs> you know, congratulations gotta, that's just yeah. awesome yeah so that that gave us the um obviously the boost we needed but this year still i mean it's going to be a disappointing year for us honestly you know we're still dealing with you know sales are still down you know 20 20 percent they're getting back on track but um still down so um instead of instead of that ambitious you know 90 million goal we're going to come in around 70 70 million um but still being able to go from 26 to 70 through a pandemic, raise the Series B, partner with the Anheuser-Busch, keep the team on board, actually hire more. Uh, we'll be close to 100 people by the end of this quarter. Um, you know, we're, we think it's still a win, even though oh, it's yeah. not wanted to accomplish. Kind of, It's kind of one of those things where, again, and this is greedy uh, of me to say, um, but like, it, it hurts the most of, uh, man, if there wasn't a pandemic, what would I know. we You know what I mean? Like, if there wasn't a pandemic and we did all these things, like, we could have we could have beat our plan this year, our ambitious plan of 90 million. So that hurts. But again, like we, we got what we needed to survive because we could have easily just like any other business, you know, had to shut our doors, had to fire, lay off 50% of our staff and shut our doors. Um, so it's been a whirlwind, man. Yeah. It sounds like it. <laughs> so much, so much has happened in such a short amount of time. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the pandemic, the one thing I know we've learned is just, you can't, you can't predict it. And it's just like trying to like put out fires, you know, it's just like keep, keep moving ahead, keep going forward. And, and to your point, it's like, I think a lot of brands too are kind of like open their eyes. Like, Oh shit, maybe haven't done enough on the digital side or the e-commerce side. Um, yep, exactly. Is that something that you guys, like, are you guys, you guys are on Amazon, right? You're on Amazon. Yeah. So has that helped? Has like that been at least a positive side since um, COVID? Yeah, we made some big hires. Um, we went out um, and kind of built that team up a little bit and same on the creative team. Um, cause marketing, again, I mentioned like we've only done field marketing to this yeah. point, our business, our online business, believe it or not, it's always been pretty strong, 15 to 20% of our sales. Oh, actually. wow. Yeah. But the issue was we were always spending way more than we needed to, to get there. So the past few months we wanted to keep revenue, um, uh, about even about 15% of sales, but might make it much more profitable, right? Make it much more profitable, much more efficient. And then the thought is really build out our digital marketing team. Uh, marketing in general, our marketing team. And then in 2021, we can really ramp that up once we have the the foundation there. Yeah. Um, so we've kind of been, you know, investing a lot to, to drive sales, but now it's like, like, how can we get really tight, really smart, drive profitable growth and then turn on the, the growth edge in, in 2021. Got it. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, I guess the next thing I'll bounce into, I know we're, we're coming up to an hour already is, um, you guys have come out with creamer. You just came out yeah. with a plant-based product, which I thought was, I actually didn't even thought about you guys going into that space. I thought that was genius. I haven't tried it yet, but I'm definitely going to get some. Oh man. Some. Yeah. I, I definitely want to try it. Is um, what, what is like, and you don't have to share anything. You can't share publicly, obviously, sure. but like, I'm sure you guys have a lot in the pipeline with COVID. Does that change anything or what's like, what do you, what's the future of super coffee and the brand look like in your eyes? <laughs> yeah, no, it's a great question. I think, we're still small enough where we want to stay really focused on coffee. 
um, you know, which I think is important. Um, so we launched uh, pods as well. Yeah, uh, that's right. And in uh, right now we're, we have seasonals coming out. So our maple pumpkin um, and our white chocolate peppermint, which your peppermint last year, I've had, I had so many of those. Is that what you were drinking? Yeah. yeah. The new, this just oh, is it the new one? Oh, yeah. so it's, it's excellent. Um, so those, those cross it, those were the number one in two seasonals in the country last year. Um, so just that, but then in September, actually we'll be launching and this is, you know, obviously, hopefully it doesn't, you know, make a big difference, but we're launching ground. We're going into the ground bag category. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So pods have done so well for us. That's awesome. People love pods and obviously our creamers too. You mentioned it's been a great, you know, it's 25, 30% of our, our business um, now. Um, so it grew pretty quickly. Wow. Uh, yeah. The creamer business is, is awesome. And uh, people are now buying our pods with our creamers, but they're asking for grounds uh, as well. Okay. So, yeah. Good problem uh, to have. Yeah. It's an easy extension and we're throwing a lot of vitamins, antioxidants. So it, it will have an immune energy play, of course. Um, so like it'll, you'll get a much better dose of, of caffeine energy focus, but also an immunity play as well, um, which is obviously a top, top ask and need right now for, for people. So um, that'll launch in September. Um, so that'll be a big launch going into Q4. And then, I mean, we see us more so as a health and wellness platform as well. Um, again, we wanted to really align early in the coffee adjacencies where we felt like we could capitalize on. So coffee, espresso, creamer, pods, grounds, like that's our, our family right now. But we think that we can expand beyond coffee. Um, so we're just looking at those categories outside of coffee. Um, what's the right category, right? What's the right yeah, person? Sure. How do you do that? When do you do that? Um, you know, what's this, what's the sales and distribution and marketing strategy behind that? Um, so those are, you know, a lot of the questions we're, we're just digging into now. And we think by the second half of 21, um, you know, we'll probably, probably do something or get ready to do something outside of coffee. But you mentioned plant-based. Our coconut mocha product we launched is our number one SKU right now. Oh, wow. Really? Absolutely taken off. Yeah. It's our number one SKU in the portfolio online in Target nationwide. Um, and then our creamer is also our number one creamer. So we're the only company. I mean, if you look at it, that's doing plant-based keto, great taste at a mainstream price. Like, yeah. There's nobody. No, there's no one else. You have a lot of plant-based products, but they're loaded. You know, oat milk has been on fire, but to drink a nine ounce latte of oat milk, you're putting 25 carbs into your, into your body. So right. um, it's customers still looking to live a keto-esque lifestyle, but going plant-based, but still tasting good. So I hope you love our, our products when you the, the new ones when you try them because they're my personal favorites too. I've been drinking a ton of them, so we'll expand on that line more too in 2021. Just because those two skews have been so successful. Sure. Oh yeah. We're going to do a full full plant based lineup on both um, coffee and creamer, and then again toward the back half of the year, we'll probably start to explore some other categories where we think the brand can uh, make an impact. That's exciting. Yeah, that's awesome, Jordan. Do you guys have, I feel like you guys are on a rocket ship. You have a lot, all your products I've tried are fantastic. Everyone I've shared them with, and it was funny. Um, we did a little product swap uh, with RX and we put them in the op. I literally put, I, um, you guys sent, I think it was like two, two or three cases of super coffee. And on the floor that I sat on, I put them in our fridge and we used Slack and I just messaged the whole company and said like, Hey, the guys at super coffee sent us a bunch of stuff. If you guys want to try it, check it out. And it was like, it was literally like a herd of elephants coming down the stairs and off the elevator. <laughs> they were gone in 10 minutes, not even 10 minutes. It was funny. So everyone loves them at RX and we're big fans. Yeah, we appreciate it. And again, I think 
the marketing machine will certainly turn on. Um, like one thing we've always prided ourselves on is quietly getting to where we are, right? Like quietly, sure. oh, yeah. seventy million dollar company in five years. But the next year is really about how do we look actually, how do we come off as bigger than we are? Like we want people to think we're a billion dollar company by this time next year. Got it, um, yeah. Obviously through our products, but just through the marketing machine that we haven't even invested or touched yet. So that's that's also part of the part of the plan. Um, and a lot, where a lot of the Series B capital is going to be going to as well. So like we have a great team in place. We don't see us needing to double our team again. But and if we really want to double our sales and be, you know, get to close to 150 million in sales next year, it's going to come from getting that brand awareness up um, as distribution continues to grow. So it's uh it's an ambitious plan we got. And obviously every day right now is a, is an uphill battle. Sure. Um, but again, we think we're going to come out of this stronger, stronger than we came into it. And um, you know, hopefully get ready for a big 2021. Yeah, definitely. No, you guys sound like you're poised and ready to go. So I'm pumped to watch and see what you guys do. Um, my last couple questions are like really not even finance related, but I love to ask everyone I have on here about this. The first one being, I, I think I've seen you specifically, I know all the three of you, like you and your two brothers post about this stuff, but if you had to suggest one book to the listeners today, do you have one off the top of your mind that you gift the most or talk about the most? Yeah. Uh, Principles by Ray Dalio. Uh, Love it. Has been the number one for me. So practical and it's so, uh, it applies to everybody. So I like that uh, a lot. Perfect. I love it. Um, And then, so you're obviously, you know, co-founder started this company, got a lot of things going on all the time. Like you said, you've talked about a lot of it over the podcast today. Do you use any tools, whether that's apps, journaling what do you use to like keep track of everything and like make progress what what tools and tricks do you use yeah so a trick that i've used uh, personally is uh not really a, a tool but just meditating uh, okay. for my personal mindset that gets me going every every morning try to get a workout and meditation in um and then in terms of tracking um I've created some internal tools that work best for my, my brain <laughs> with everything going on, um, whether that be a spreadsheet or a Google, Google document, like leveraging the technology that's available. Those things make it very easy to, to organize. You know, you can create Gantt charts and whatever, really whatever you want. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think it's super important to get everything that you have on your plate in one place, everything um, in one place, and then breaking that down by priority biggest bucket. So I mentioned people and product being the most important thing for our business and what I focus on the most. So those things are always top of the list. The people issues, the product issues, the goals always at the top. And again, start with your goals too. Like, what do you want to accomplish? What are you trying to achieve? Um, and then what can't be sacrificed in order to get there? And then your that'll fuel the rest of what you do. So your daily actions should align with, with those things. So if you have a very clear sense of what you want to accomplish and what your priorities are, that should basically direct everything else. And then you should know too, like, Hey, here are the things that I can't, you know, get to. Um, and that's usually where the hiring, you know, plan comes into play, like getting sure. the right people in the right roles, um, comes into play, but it's just like, sometimes you're not going to be able to, you know, I'll, I'll leave the house on a, you know, Monday morning and be in meetings and, you know, maybe travel for a field visit or something. I'll come back Tuesday night and I'll have 600 emails oh, know, wow. all new just from the past 48 hours. And I know I'm not going to be able to get to some of those, you know, yeah. that's all right because the past 48 hours were spent on doing activities that were going to our biggest priorities and our biggest buckets. That's what's going to move the business forward. Uh, so get everything on one sheet, whether it be a Google doc, spreadsheet, whatever it is, be able to see it, visualize it, and then prioritize those things accordingly um, to what you want to accomplish. 
Love it. No, that's a great, great piece of advice. I appreciate it. Um, and then really lastly, where can people, what's the best place to try super coffee and then how can people get a hold of you or super coffee in general, if they want to learn more? Awesome. Yeah. The easiest way, um, obviously people are probably spread out across the country. I'm sure you can find it in your local regional, uh, retailer or national retailer, but, uh, drink amazon.com. Uh, you can buy, buy all products on those platforms. Try drink supercoffee.com. We usually do some, some, some deals for, for everybody, like first time buyers for sure, like 15, 20% off. And then just reach out on the site. And uh, if you have questions and our team does an amazing job of passing them along to us. So honestly, if you reach out, um, you know, it'll, it'll get to us pretty quickly and we'll answer everything. So fantastic. So, fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Jordan, thank you so much for taking the time. It was pleasure getting to actually talk to you in person and thanks for for dealing with me changing the schedule a few times so yeah thank you it was a pleasure talking to you and learning a lot more about super coffee and yourself my friend thank you brother i appreciate it man we got to do another product swap here yeah let's definitely do it always (laughs) down always down for a good product swap awesome cool Cool. thanks jordan we'll have a good one i appreciate it you too man have a great week you too see ya Thanks for listening to today's episode with Jordan from Super Coffee. Hope you guys loved the episode. If you'd like to try Super Coffee, you can head on over to drinksupercoffee.com. And also, as always, wanted to remind you guys of a few more links. Um, In the show notes, you'll find uh, links to Super Coffee, of course. And you will also still find the two links that I always add. One is to Robinhood, if you're interested in starting your investment journey today, you can click on the link to Robinhood to get a free stock to start off. And last but not least, I have another link in there to the COVID stock market rebound tracker. It's basically my list of companies, of stocks that I'm keeping an eye on during all the craziness that has transpired this year and really just keeping a tap on what I'm looking to invest in if you're interested in getting started and really just want a place to um, get a jump start on the types of stocks that I think you, you could and should be looking into to invest in. And remember, I am no hedge fund manager. I am just giving you guys my best suggestions. And as always, um, if you like today's episode, if you love Simply Finance with Shane White and want to support it, share it with your friends um, that can't do or I really can't uh, thank all of you enough for um, sharing this and helping with the growth of the podcast. Um, I also uh, would love it if you guys would leave a review and leave a five-star review uh, on the podcast. It will help get the podcast in front of more people. So thanks again, everybody. Appreciate you listening to today's episode, and we will be back with another one in a couple days. Thanks, everyone.